in the year of 2023 and naturally pay attention to the countries around us. And some countries are very concerned regarding the domestic influence. But on the other hand, people are also very concerned and regarding the direction of the country. For example, let's talk about China, a country constitutes of 1.4 billion people. On one hand, some people are very much concerned and regarding the aging population in China today, which could impact the domestic economic projection. And also at the same time, younger generations today are no longer interested in building families. And given the fact the unemployment rate in China today is also alarming. But here's the good news. Let's talk about the foreign relations. Did you know the relationship between China and some countries in Africa today are actually thriving? And again, based on the research and also given the fact that countries today with China and countries in Africa with China today, when we look at this economic relationship, has actually developed rapidly over the last two decades. Now, if we put that in the number, that the number flows surge from $75 million in 2003 all the way to $5 billion in 2021 for China to invest in the continent of Africa. How should we understand the number? And what about this Belt and Road Initiative? Some countries, either they are still hesitating to, to, to stay or to leave, and some countries have already declared their departure from this project. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, if you're familiar with our show, you should be familiar with our distinguished speaker, who is Dr. Marcus DeFritas. Again, Dr. Marcus, it's a senior fellow at the Policy Center for the New South. And also, he's currently a visiting professor of international law and international relations at China Foreign Affairs University in Beijing, China. Well, Dr. Marcus, and welcome back to The Missing Piece. And happy summer to you. Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure to be talking to you and to everyone who watches the show. Well, Dr. Marcus, again, I want to get started because recently that you wrote amazing article, and should I say it's in extensive research regarding the China and Africa relationship, and it's called The Impact of Chinese Investment in Africa, Neocolonialism or Cooperation. Now, I want to get started with the first question, Dr. Marcus. When we look at some of the countries in Africa today, geopolitically speaking, it's not doing quite well. And quite frankly, this political change actually generating much greater noises. But meanwhile, China made crystal clear has never been interested in meddling with the domestic issues among the nations in Africa, while continue to strengthen the economic ties between China and some of the countries in Africa. Now, Help us with better understanding. How significant is the move for China today? I believe that um, when you look into the long-term perspective, uh, which is, seems to be uh, always the Chinese approach, right? Uh, when it comes to Africa, I think China is looking into the continent as the last frontier of development mm. uh, for the world. Um uh, also, its location is good because it's closer to the consumer markets and it is a continent that has a huge demand for what China produces, particularly for the benefits 
that can derive from the relationship with China, particularly when it comes to infrastructure building. Mm -hmm. So I think that when you're looking to synergies or win-win propositions, like you say in China, you enjoy saying that, I think that the African continent really presents a narrative that is very positive for China. Of course, you have problems in Niger, you have problems in Libya, you have problems in Ethiopia, but all countries in the world face some kind of domestic situations that are complicated. Mm. Uh, uh, and of course, you know, Africa is not a different continent from the other ones that you see around the world. It also faces uh, the challenges uh, that, you know, countries are going through. But when you take a long-term perspective and you look into the fact that uh, that Africa is the continent that will have, you know, a very young population in the near future, and it's still, you know, like an amusement park for China to build uh, infrastructure and all that, uh, and particularly considering that, you know, Africa has a lot to gain from the relationship, which is different from what they had in the past with the Europeans and the Americans. Uh, but if you look into that perspective, I think that uh, it is a relationship that will thrive in the future, and it's already thriving. And uh, and I think that the more you see that kind of development taking place, I think it's a good thing for the African continent. Dr. Marcus, again, going back to the publication, that again, that's part of the reason why I want to bring the number into our conversation. This is something that you wrote, and you you wrote, and I quote, China has increased its investment in Africa over the last four decades. Again, flow surge, again, as we mentioned before, from $75 billion, I'm sorry, $1 million in 2003 to $5 billion to 2021. But meanwhile, again, as we mentioned in the intro, China today is no longer just the, we'll say, the new kids on the block. And also some countries are quite disinterested in building this relationship with China. But meanwhile, China continue to increase the presence among the nations in Africa. Here's a very simple question. Is this the backup plan for China by increasing its presence in Africa? And also, how should we understand the reactions from some of the countries in Africa when they're looking at the partnership with China for the bigger picture? I think that Africa is not the only place where, you know, uh, you will have an interest in developing a greater relationship. I think Latin America is also a place that has shown great interest in, in the relationship with China. Of course, you see that as China becomes uh, the most relevant player in the international chessboard, uh, of course, you see that this movement really affects other countries. It affects the United States, it affects the European Union, uh, and, it, and it's interesting because uh, in certain regions, like in Africa, you see, uh, the Chinese partnership makes these countries or, you know, the United States and the European Union secondary players or secondary, you know, friends, mm. uh, that is not as relevant as they were in the past. And because of that, you do see that there is, uh, somehow a, a campaign that seeks to repeat or seeks to, uh, 
create a narrative mm. that is negative against China. Uh, you see, this is not something new. Uh, this has been going on for a little while. If you recall President Trump with, you know, uh, the, the trade war with China and all the political discourse that has been employed against China, uh, you will see also all the negative narratives that have been developed against China because of COVID and the situation that he had in COVID. Uh, so you see that there is, unfortunately, there's a smear campaign against China. Um, and, uh, and despite all this, I think China has been, you know, adult enough mm. or strong enough to keep the policies and to keep investing and keep understanding that, uh, you know, there will be here and there some countries that might feel a little different or, you know, might bring some of these uh, negative narratives to justify an action against China. But what you do see is that outside of China, uh, those countries that I mentioned to you or the European Union countries and the, and, uh, and the United States are not as willing to invest in these developing countries as much as China is. And not only that, China sees a synergy that those countries uh, do not have currently mm. with the United States or the European Union. So that's the issue. I think China faces the challenge of a very negative campaign that has been run against China and uh, a difficult one to overcome. But uh, I think that the, the steady course of China and a long-term perspective is really what matters in this situation. And in that sense, I think China has been a very, has had a very stable hand in this, uh, in the approach and in the way he has faced these challenges. Mm. Dr. Marcus, I want to go back to the publication again. Your publication is entitled The Impact of Chinese Investments in Africa neocolonialism or cooperation. Now, let's define the word neocolonialism. Now, again, it says, and I quote, is indirect form of control exerted by powerful countries that use for their benefits, cultural, economic, and political power to exploit the labor and resources of colonized countries. Now, Dr. Marcus, why is that important for us to understand this term when we look at this China-Africa relationship. What is the indication or what is the implication behind that? Well, because the idea behind this is to affirm that what the Chinese are doing in Africa is precisely what the Europeans did in Africa in the past. Mm. Right? You know, colonialism was the approach that Europeans used to uh, exploit uh, the African continent out of, out of its natural resources and all that. So when we use the term neocolonialism, that means that it is a country that is employing basically the same techniques of the past of exploiting those countries, exploiting the resources and taking the resources away and leaving these countries really with nothing. Now, this is a narrative that people try to uh, create against China in the relationship with, uh, with Africa by mm. saying that, you know, Af China is basically, you know, a resource, natural resource seeker. Uh, it's only looking for its own interests and it's exploiting the, uh, African countries and paying them very little for, for the resources that they sell. 
But they're not taking into consideration that one major feature of, uh, uh, of the, um, uh, one of the major features of these investments that China has been making in the African continent is related to infrastructure, which is a little different from the past. Uh, because when you, and I think China has, you know, you have that saying in China, build a road and get rich. That's right. Uh, and you know that, uh, when you look into process of economic development, infrastructure is, uh, the number one factor that you need to have. And, uh, so, uh, it's a little different, uh, from what people could say in the past because the European countries would exploit the African nations and take the resources and leave very little uh structure or infrastructure and also uh one of the things that the european countries used to do is to really um uh interfere in the domestic politics of those countries and really uh one of the reasons why you have so much instability in africa has always been related to the way the continent has so the lines have been drawn have been drawn and also the interference of the European countries and even the United States in the continent. I think uh, that uh, in that sense, China hasn't meddled so much mm. into the internal affairs of the countries because it's one of the principles of the Chinese, uh, uh, you know, external relations and foreign relations. So when you look into this, uh, you understand that Applying the term neocolonialism, saying that the Chinese are basically repeating the same things of the past, is certainly you know a mistake. That I think it is um, uh, a mistake that has you know a certain agenda behind it. You want to create a fear, and particularly for countries that have been colonized, mm. uh, the idea that you know uh, China is coming again and repeating the same things of the past. Uh, really creates a fear. Mm. So by repeating and creating this narrative that, you know, China is a new colonialist in Africa, uh, you try to reproduce the fears of the past. But when you look more intensively into what the Chinese have been doing, you see that uh, two of these basic aspects are out. China is investing in infrastructure, which is a, it's a, Good thing for the long term of the country, for the long term development of the country. And also China is not meddling into the domestic politics, which is a sign that, you know, somehow, uh, will force these countries to mature mm. on themselves and not be always guided or always, you know, be somehow influenced by what takes place elsewhere. Mm. Dr. Marcus, again, as we mentioned before, I want to bring Belt and Road Initiative into our conversation. We know that under the current leader of China, Belt and Road Initiative, it's a major international project. And throughout the project, that Chinese loans have been used to primarily to develop Africa's poor infrastructure. You know, again, this is something you mentioned in your writing as well. 40% has been utilized for power generation, transmission, and 30% for upgrading outdated trans transport facility. But meanwhile, Dr. Marcus, we keep on hearing the word debt trap when we look at Belt and Road Initiative, and particularly for some countries in Africa. I want to ask a very simple question. 
for African countries to join the Belt and Road Initiative, is this actually a debt trap for some of the countries who are economically vulnerable or economically unstable at this moment? Or this is actually a favor or perhaps a friendly gesture for China to make the loans to those countries? What do you say to that? I'd say this, and uh, and this is something that people get you know repeated time after time uh, about this idea of their trap, which is something that wasn't created by China, but it was actually created in the past, mm-hmm. right? You see, uh, uh, for many many years, uh, whenever African countries needed money or they needed, they would have to give their natural resources like oil and all that, mm. and uh, and become entrapped by the. That they, by the debts that they had with, you know, those, uh, the European countries or the United States. Now, uh, here's a little different. Um, because you see that first of all, China is the only country that is willing and has been capable of investing in African countries mm-hmm. in the amount that it has. Uh, nobody has been issuing checks like uh, uh like china has mm. uh two african countries uh and when they do there are so many conditionalities imposed on the african countries that you're basically meddling with the polo- uh, you know with the local politics when you start you know creating all these uh requests and all these requirements for funding to take place so i think that that is one of the major features here that somehow uh, give you a different perspective on how China has interacted with the African countries. Of course, there are good loans and there are bad loans, and we have throughout history had countries that have not been able to pay their debts. And there have been initiatives within the International Monetary Fund for countries when they're not capable of paying their debts. And I think that the Chinese will certainly address this issue could it become a problem in the future? Now, they bring the issue of that trap, and they always call the same situation, like Bangladesh and what happened in Bangladesh, or, or not Bangladesh, but, uh, uh, but Sri Lanka. That's mm. one of the cases that people like to mention. Uh, without taking into consideration that we had a pandemic and the situation affected the economics of the country, it was not the Chinese loans that were uh, the problem. And there is one difference here too, Will, that we should emphasize, is that I can only create a debt trap if I am doing something that, first of all, you did not ask for, so it's an imposition. And second, something that is not going to generate revenues for you to pay. So here, there is something that we should understand. China is not creating infrastructure that the African countries do not want. The countries are the ones that present the projects that they need Mm. for their own development. So that's their own decision. uh, And that's the number one factor. And number two is, uh, since most of the Chinese interest is related to infrastructure, here is an important thing to emphasize. Infrastructure is something that, if well done, if well applied, will generate uh, revenues in the future, right? Uh, build a road and get rich. You cannot do anything without infrastructure. If you want to export agricultural products, 
from Africa, there aren't roads or, or railroads or ports for you to do so. And here is China investing in these major uh, projects that will allow these countries necessarily to be able to uh, to make money on their own. So I think that when people try to say and use the narrative of uh, that trap, they're basically trying to um, misconstrue uh, an image uh, of China lending when nobody's well, nobody else is willing to do so, mm. uh, particularly at this time and in this situation. And, uh, and it tries to create, again, you know, this uh, manipulate, manipulative idea that China is taking advantage of the African uh, continents. The issue is this. At the end of the day, if the countries in Africa that are receiving Chinese money start hearing uh, or start uh, heeding to these ideas, uh, what is the replacement? Mm. Uh, will there be, will the United States or the European Union step in to, you know, invest as much money as the Chinese are doing? And the answer is clearly, it's not mm. going to happen. Mm. So that is why I think that, uh, you know, African countries, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the paper, is that I think African nations really need to, to go beyond page two and understand why this narrative is being used and what are the, what are the alternatives, if there are any. And the impression I have based on what I have seen is that really there isn't a number two, uh, in this story or somebody else willing to make the kind of investments that China is doing. Mm. Professor Marcus, I want to wrap up our conversation by asking you a last question. Again, when we talk about the charm of Belt and Road Initiative, and surely there's no doubt among the countries in Africa. But meanwhile, let's talk about the Belt and Road Initiative has already lost charm with some countries in Europe. For example, recently, the nation of Italy, and this, again, decided by the current prime minister that to depart this relationship from the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, given the fact the current prime minister has gone even further, restrain, uh, restricting a Chinese firm's influence on Italian tire maker. So in other words, by, dis, uh, by disconnecting uh, with Belt and Road Initiative, this is what the... Uh, Italian government decided to do and also labeling this Belt and Road Initiative as what I quote, what I find out, quote, improvised and atrocious act. Now, Dr. Marcus, you're the international relationship expert. Help us with better understanding. How should we understand the move made by Italian government under the current prime minister? And also, how much do you think it could actually hurt Belt and Road Initiative, especially for some of the countries in Europe? What do you say to that? I think that it is a movement by the Italian government that has changed and has shifted to to a more extreme position in the right. Mm. Um, and the fact that China is run... Uh, you have the, you know, the Communist Party of China. Um, that word communist in the West still creates a lot of panic mm. because people associate with, you know, an extreme left. And, and it's an interesting thing because if you see, and I always say this, if you see 
the agenda of the political left in the West and what you have in China, you know, there uh, there couldn't be something, you know, uh, they're worlds apart, mm. right? There's no relationship between one and the other in that sense. Uh, but, you know, in the West, this idea, if you're on the extreme right and you see a polarization in, in the political discourse, not only, you know, in Europe, um, but you see that in the United States, right? Uh, this political polarization that has created this idea, uh, and everything that is associated with this, uh, this movement of polarization somehow, uh, is used by the politicians to create this idea that, oh, we're doing something to go away from, you know, communists and, you know, from the extreme left. So I think it has a whole lot to do, uh, a, a whole lot to do more with the political moment of uh of italy and with the ascension of the right uh then he has to do with the relationship with china first of all because china is uh the number one partner as far as i recall of the european union mm. and um, and of course italy has uh, suffered the consequences of uh of the, of the war in ukraine the loss of the Russian market, and uh, but you have, and I, but I think that these political movements never take into consideration the high dependence that these countries have on the Chinese buyer and the Chinese consumer. You know, China, uh, Italy is known for its luxury brands mm. that they try to sell all over the world, and there are no better consumers than the Chinese. When it comes to that, so I think that uh, political movements do not necessarily reflect uh, the domestic realities of the economic agenda, and uh, and this mismatch between the economy, the economics, and the politics is something that countries pay in the long run, and they pay for the mistakes they make. Now, Belt and Road Initiative is an interesting process of China investing in the world, presenting a new face to the world. And I think that uh, the more uh, economic development that we see through infrastructure and all that, and, you know, I must say that even though Europe is advanced in many ways, its infrastructure is already lacking mm. when it comes to, you know, assuring that the Europeans remain competitive. But you see that, uh, you know, they, they need to rethink. But it's very hard also for you to see this great power competition taking place and somehow position yourself on, on the Chinese side, particularly if you have American bases in your territory. Mm. Or if you have, you know, uh, the uh, military dependency on the United States. So, you know, China needs to uh, understand that. Yeah, and, uh, and what we see here, and this war in Ukraine has reminded us, is that the European countries, when it comes to self-defense, they really have to rely on the United States. Mm. So whatever the narrative that the United States also pursues is the one that the Europeans are going to, say that they have their independence and all that. But at the end of the day, you know, if you are basically paying for somebody else to, to protect you, you kind of remain uh, a hostage to that idea and to that sense. 
So I think that uh, when you see these movements by the Italian, you, did not, you do not need to consider Belt and Road a failure, but you need to understand that it is a political movement that you see in Europe that is a major concern uh, in that sense, but uh, it's just a political movement. You know, wait for the next government, and, you know, Italy has not been a very stable uh, reality when it comes to uh, governance over the last, you know, as long as I, as far as I know. So we need to wait for the next political wave in, in, in Italy and see whether this remains a, an Italian policy or is this the politics of the party that is ruling the country on the day? Well, that's right. Again, despite all the negativity, but meanwhile, it's still important for us to understand this meaningful and healthful relationship among the countries uh, uh, in Africa, and also importantly, is Chinese investment in Africa is not going anywhere. Again, Chinese investment will continue to generate much greater noises in the land of Africa. Again, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Dr. Marcus DeFritas. Again, Dr. Marcus, it's a senior fellow at Policy Center for the New South. And also he's focusing on international law and international relations. Also, he's currently a visiting professor of international law and international relations at China Foreign Affairs University in Beijing, China. And I strongly encourage everyone go online to connect with Dr. Marcus and check out his latest publication, which is entitled The Impact of Chinese Investments in Africa, Neocolonialism or Cooperation. Well, Dr. Marcus, thank you so much for your time. It's always been a pleasure speaking to you, and we'd love to have you back on the show as we continue to follow and also pay attention to those international relationships. So thank you so much for doing this.